It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from the first one with DJ Khaled, a new podcast only available on Amazon Music. What's up, y'all? This is DJ Khaled, and this is the first one. I talk to the most iconic artists on the planet about songs that didn't change the game, but changed their life. We hear from all the A-list music stars like J Balvin, Nas, and Kelly Rowland, who tell their stories about the first hits that took them to being overlooked to being overbooked. Join me every Thursday, only on Amazon Music. Who they think you're gonna beat them bangles? It is the Lockdown Bengals Podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to the bye week episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. The Bengals are 0-8. We're going to talk about what's going on at the midway point. Joe did a series of tweets today asking for mid-season questions, stuff like, who's your mid-season MVP for the Bengals, and would you rather have Chase Young in a qu- or a quarterback? So we'll talk about those questions and a lot more. We're going to start today, though, by looking at where the Bengals rank as a team on some major statistics now that we're at the halfway point going into the bye week. Perfect split this year, and it's not a pretty picture. We'll start with the two easiest ways to identify a bad team, looking at points allowed versus points scored per game. So the Bengals offense currently ranks fourth worst in the NFL, at 15.5 points scored per game. Joe, if you had to guess how many games a team would win averaging 15.5 points per game over the course of an entire season, what would you say? Well, in today's offense, today's NFL, you have to score points. And considering there's teams that are actually below them, which is a surprise to me, I guess you could end up playing one or two of those teams. I would say at most two wins, but I would even venture to guess you go one in 15 if you score 15 points per game. It gets worse when you consider the defense, but you do make an interesting point about the teams that are worse in the NFL than the Bengals, and maybe they have to play some of those teams. Well, you're right. The two teams that are worse that the Bengals play this year are the Miami Dolphins, who average 10.5 points a game, dead last in the NFL, and really very embarrassing for any NFL team especially in the era we're in, to score 10.5 points per game. And not much better at 11.1 points per game. Another Cincinnati Bengals opponent this year, the New York Jets, given much of that without Sam Darnold. Yeah, that would be the two wins. And I think as everyone's looking at the schedule, I guess that makes sense. I still think the Jets with Sam Darnold could be more of a threat, but they're starting to offload talent around this trade deadline with Leonard Williams traded today. So... They got a little bit worse. Let's look at the defensive side. 26.3 points allowed per game for the Bengals. Joe, how many games does a team that gives up 26 points per game win in a season? And I don't want to sound like I'm defending the defense on this one because they've been bad too, but this is a more open-ended question. Like There can be a lot of variables and possibilities here. I think you could allow 26 points per game on defense And if you have a really good offense that's in that range also, you can win six, seven, eight games. I think if you have an extremely good offense, you're the Chiefs offense, yeah, you you can possibly win 10 games with a defense that gives up 26 points per game. So 26.3 points allowed per game is tied for ninth in the NFL with the Carolina Panthers. Not that far off, Cleveland giving up 25.9 points per game. But looking at the teams that are worse than the Bengals in this metric includes the Detroit Lions, who are 3-3-1, Oakland Raiders, who have won some games, Arizona Cardinals, who have won three games now, I believe, and Tampa, who's scattered some, some wins in there. So I think your hypothesis is correct. Tampa giving up 30.3 points per game 
That's certainly won more games than the Bengals, but that's because they've been prone to some offensive outbursts. That's right. And we've seen this before recently in, in playoff years from the Colts a few years ago when they won the Super Bowl to uh, even the Chiefs last year. Bad defenses carried by very good offenses can win in today's NFL. In, in the modern NFL, it's certainly more possible than it used to be. However, I do just want to point out the two best teams in the NFL. I don't think anyone would question that is the New England Patriots who are giving up just 7.6 points per game. And Crazy. that went up, giving up 13 points to the Browns yesterday. And the San Francisco 49ers, who are giving up 11 points per game. Those are very, very, very good defenses. You can win. I mean, the way they're going, I think the 49ers have the best balance right now because they're putting points up on offense. Also, man, that if you have a defense like that where you're just smothering teams, you're going to win 13 games. Hard to see anyone but either of those two teams making it to the Super Bowl out of their respective conferences right now, given the caveat that anything can happen in the playoffs. But just to note a couple other things here, Miami giving up 35.2 points per game, minus 25 points per game in the differential. It's easy to see why on Football Outsiders, they still have a large lead in the race to the bottom for that number one pick, 67% chance for that first overall pick where the Bengals are at 20% right now. And at the time of recording, Miami was leading the Pittsburgh Steelers 7-0. to zero. So there's some reason to hope. Go Dolphins, especially with that Week 16 game coming up. We need them to get a couple wins here because that that's one of the few games where you're looking at it and say, advantage Bengals. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. MyBookie offers a variety of options depending on your style of betting. You can bet on games after kickoff if by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can take the other side and recoup your cash. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, you can try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. No matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Just use promo code LOCKEDON to activate the offer that's promo code locked on. Visit mybookie.ag today to play so you win and get paid. This is Ross Jackson from Locked On Saints. This podcast is brought to you by Carvana. In the age of online retailers, buying a car should be no different. And that's why Carvana invented a brand new way for you to buy a car. That's 100% online. Without leaving the comfort of your couch, you can browse and buy from their selection of almost 20,000 cars. And once you've made the purchase, your car comes to you, delivered right to your door, or you can go and pick it up from one of the coin-operated car vending machines. All of Carvana's cars come with a seven-day return policy, ensuring that you get a car that fits perfectly with your life. Not happy? Exchange it or return it for a full refund. And with its dedication to customer service, it's why hundreds of thousands of customers have ditched the dealership and given Carvana 4.7 stars in customer satisfaction. So check it out, the nation's fastest growing auto retailer at Carvana.com, C-A-R-V-A-N-A.com, Carvana.com. Hey, Jake, knock-knock. Uh, Who's there, Joe? Oh, wait, Owen. I'm not supposed to know who's there. Who's there? <laughs> Do you already know this one? No. Oh, it's Owen. Owen Owen who? Owen H. Oh, I didn't see that coming at all. Oh, you're ready for it. This is not <laughs> fun. Anyways, Andy Dalton is the first quarterback to be Owen 8 and 8 and 0 in his career. What do you think about that? I think that's wild. Who, who tweeted that yesterday? Whoever was on it. That's a crazy stat. The Red Zone host. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, that's, uh, that's crazy. I mean, that just whoever did that piece, there have been a lot of people writing about Andy Dalton this year. PFF did that very thorough deconstruction of him that's this right. week. And before that, the ringer did the piece. Um, Robert Mays. What was that? Robert Mays. Robert Mays did the piece. Yeah, about how Andy Dalton is a perfect barometer for the rest of the talent on your team. Big year for Andy Dalton in all the wrong ways. Yeah, and I think that's because we've talked about um, the Dalton coaster, if you will, the ups and downs throughout his career. 0-8 and 8-0 is a great representation of that. It'll be an interesting stat to um, have that. And we did we talk about Andrew Whitworth 
knocking off all 32 teams by beating the Bengals. Was that the other thing we meant to mention? So congratulations to Whitworth. I think he's only the 16th player of all time to be able to do that. And, well, the Bengals gave him that opportunity to do that. Either way, that's awesome. I think that is one thing that maybe might get brought up when a Hall of Fame resume comes up. I think Whitworth, given the end of his career, much like Willie Anderson at the end of his career started getting that recognition, those guys both, in my opinion, should be going to the Hall of Fame. I agree with that completely. So we've got some more midseason conversation, awards, stats. Just look at the Bengals, where they're at. And I'm going to start with PF. We normally do PFF stuff on Tuesday. So I figure let's jump into that and look at it. Um, I've got some of their top graded players right now for the season. So this is season totals. This isn't just what happened versus the Rams. This is where they stand right now. And let's put a um, a minimum of 200 snaps played for this just so we can, you know, Farrell Cooper, he's got eight snaps played. We don't need to worry about Farrell Cooper. He's not even on the roster anymore. So the top guy right now on offense for the Bengals, is Alex Erickson at a 72.5. How about that? Remember in the offseason there was a report, I can't remember who it was from, that said the Bengals were higher on Erickson, they turned out trade offers, and that he could be the Cooper Cup in this offense. And I thought, he's going to have to overcome so many players to even get into that role. And he's not as fast as Cooper Cup. He's not as good as Cooper Cup. But he can play, and he can help, and he has played. And he's made a lot of uh, plays as a receiver in, over the course of his career at this point. And he's one of the best values they probably have on the team for the guys that have second contracts. And if he had fewer drops, that grade right. would be a lot higher because he's had a lot of drops in the last two weeks with some of those targets. He had a brutal drop last week, we all remember, on a deep ball that was perfectly thrown from Andy Dalton. So that grade could certainly be a little bit higher. He's he's got three so far this year, and he's only had one in his career before this. So like everybody on on offense and defense, they are going through being on a winless team, and I think it's affecting them on the negative side more often than not. I mean, the dropped interceptions, that's stuff that happens to a team that's losing. If you're a winning team, Sean Williams makes that interception. You're a little more focused, I think, when you have something to play for. Uh, so number two is Auden Tate, which breakout candidate, one of them, guy we talked to, he broke out right after we uh, talked to him or right before in the in in the cusp of him breaking out. We talked to him and interviewed him on this podcast. So good on Auden Tate uh, to take advantage of the opportunity. Next guy, Tyler Boyd. So we've got three receivers right off the bat. These guys are all in the above average to uh, slightly good grades from a 67 to a 72 is Erickson. Next guy. Maybe maybe the breakout player, it's one of the nominations on the questions, is Trey Hopkins at number four. He's got a 66 overall, the only offensive lineman really worth a damn on this roster right now. That's playing. And the, the last guy, if we're doing top five, is John Ross. So, again, that's four receivers out of the top five. We've talked about this Rams-style offense, if that's even a thing, is definitely helping this receiving core get on track. What's Bobby Hart at at the midway point? Yeah, he could be worse. He's a 55 overall. He is slightly worse than he was last year. Um, but overall, to be honest with you, it's been okay for what expectations are. What do you think about that, Jake? I think he started out the season better, and then yeah. Alex Redmond came back into the lineup. Sure. <laughs> and then you start noticing the penalties Those over and over again. Those two next to each other is just such a nightmare. It's like the Bermuda Triangle of the offensive line. Well, we should get John Miller back, though, and because he was uh, almost able to play this week, and then Redmond went down, so we'll see if those get cleaned up a little bit, if Bobby Hart and Miller can get back on track to where they were to start the year. So before you shift to the defense, then, the overall grade for the Bengals, according to PFF, is second worst in the NFL, only better than mm-hmm. Miami. And the offense, before you shift over to the defense, fifth worst, well below wow. average at a 60.6. Yeah. Well, one more mention on the offense before we go. The top or the two lowest graded players are Michael Jordan and Billy Price. So that left guard spot has been a disaster. When you go look at the the offensive linemen in the NFL based on PFF, their grades, if you go to the top 193 guys, which is 20% of the snaps, uh, 190 is Billy Price, 191 is Michael Jordan. So it is bad. They're starting a bad, bad group of left guards jake you're celebrating tell me the dolphins scored again they did it's 14 to 0 my god i can feel it it's happening joe it's happening (laughs) this is the most exciting score of the Bengals season (laughs) let's go to the defensive side will we oh man hold on there's something else i wanted to say but i i think my mind is just gone go on to the defense 
All right, so the top guy has only played 23 snaps. We'll skip him, but is Darius Phillips. I'd love to see him return by the end of the year, if possible. Uh, so we'll keep the same threshold of 200 snaps, and it'll give us our five guys, all defensive linemen, surprisingly. Sort of. I mean, I, we knew the D-line would be the strength of the team, right? You, you agree with that. But there's been so many times they haven't been able to take over a game. The thing about defensive grades is if you compare positions on PFF, defensive linemen are always the highest graded position on defense. So yeah. take that grain of salt when you consider grades aren't terribly comparable across positions, Position. especially on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I noticed that also on some of the offensive line, especially when it comes to run blocking. They never match the counterpart of pass blocking. Uh, so anyways, well, let's start and see what they have. So Geno Atkins, number one, at 75. I think that's very fair. He's still the best player on the team. He's about 10 points lower where he normally is, as it seems everybody on this team is. Uh, they're just not making the impact a lot of these guys typically would. The next guy is Carlos Dunlap, followed by Andrew Billings, who are both in the uh, above average to having a good year situation. Billings, uh, uh, I heard, I had some people ask me, is he on the trade block from other teams? And I said, I don't think so. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see what goes on with him because the next two guys, Sam Hubbard, who may be the breakout player of the year, one of them, I think a lot of people voted for him in the poll. And finally, Josh Tupau. And Tupau is having really a breakout year. And for a nose tackle, a guy that's played, you know, uh, 233 snaps, he's, he's out there significantly in terms of being a rotational run defender. And he's done a good job doing that. Tupo is a guy that we talked about in the preseason. He's, we thought he's probably too good to cut. Yeah. And then we also talked about, well, Vernell Wren's a rookie, so they're not going to cut him. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Vernell Wren, by the way. Had a pretty positively graded game. His for best a guy game. Who was pretty raw. Yeah, was a good game against LA, according to PFF. So not a surprise to me that the defensive line is a strength. And if you look at the next few guys, they're in the secondary. Also not a surprise. And then you look at the bottom four guys. Guess what position they play, Joe? I bet they're all linebackers. I bet they are. Is that what you're saying? Are you leading me to it, or are you going to say it? It's Jermaine Pratt, Preston Brown, Leroy Reynolds, Jordan Evans. Now a lot of those guys don't have enough snaps to qualify. Uh, Not even Pratt with 101 now, which is actually pretty decent. But Preston Brown uh, being down there at 44.5 is significant. I'd I'd like to mention real quick, best run defenders on the team real quick are Hubbard, Billings, and Dunlap, I think that makes sense with Derek Quisdenard right behind them. The best and worst tacklers really quick, Clayton Fedulum and Josh Tupau. Tupau famously tackled uh, oh Lamar Jackson God. out there in space. It was what? so good. Oh, I thought the Dolphins scored again. <laughs> no, but Josh Tupau tackling Lamar Jackson in space is almost as good. So the guys that play a lot, the the worst uh, tacklers here are Andrew Billings. He, he jumps out, and that's someone we've talked about for a long time in terms of uh, having a short tackle radius. He just doesn't have the, those long arms and, and that lateral agility of the guys that play a lot. Also, William Jackson and Nick Vigil. Not surprising, any right. of them. The biggest surprise to me is Jesse Bates' regression in year two, and I yep. still want to blame the scheme on that. And part of the reason Jermaine Pratt, by the way, is one of the lowest-graded Bengals is a methodology issue that I personally have with PFF. He took down the worst grade on the Bengals roster yesterday because the coaches left him in a position to run with a pretty fast, talented wide receiver one-on-one with no help over the top. That play alone put Pratt in the 30s for PFF yesterday, and that's just not on Pratt. Right, and that's part of their method of, well, he's in coverage, so he gets graded negatively. But then that's part of the thing, too. When I did this a few weeks ago, I was saying, well, look at all these players that are significantly grading worse on PFS uh, method. A lot of it is coaching. When the, the longer this goes, I'm going, they're not putting these guys in position to succeed. And not only that, like the Bengals didn't put them in position to fail a lot of times, except for linebacker. I made that case before. But now like every position is getting their fair chance to fail out there. And a lot of them are. So Joe, you did a lot of poll questions today talking about what do you think Bengals fans here at the midway point? We'll get into your answers there and give you our own thoughts here in just a second. Hey, what's happening? It's your boy Q, host of the Locked On Raiders podcast. And I hope you guys feasted on the MyBookie Turkey Day free play that allowed users to grab themselves a risk-free bet up to $250. It was basically a free shot at trying to double your money. If you didn't get in on that, what are you doing? 
No, nah, but seriously, now is the time to get some skin in the game with my bookie, where odds boost, lightning deals, and free bets await all season long. And with the NFL playoffs right around the corner, we know who these teams are. We know what they're capable of, and it's not difficult to find some value in the lines. Whether you're a first-time customer or have been playing with my bookie for years, there is no shortage of value to be found in the thousands of game lines, unique prop bets, and contests that they offer every week. Sign up or get reloaded today. Find an edge, make your bet, and get paid. They also boast a fully-fledged casino platform, giving you access to all the classic table, slot, and card games you'd expect to find at your local spot. And the best part is, at MyBookie, the doors never close, so you can continue to build your bankroll even after the stadium lights have gone out. Make the right play and sign up today at MyBookie. And when you do, use promo code LOCKEDON to get your deposit match halfway all the way up to 1000 bucks. The terms are simple. You put in $200, they'll match you with another $100 in your account. If you were already planning to bet this season, this is free betting money. It's winning season at my bookie, so come join in on the fun and win some cash while you're at it. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Dell Technologies. At CDWG, we get that migrating your agency to a hyper-converged infrastructure is challenging. Like me switching to decaf. Gotta do it, don't wanna do it, but gotta do it. Whoa, slow down, friend. CDWG's experts can help simplify your transition from legacy to hyper-converged infrastructure with Dell EMC solutions that offer speed and agility. Do it, do it. Have you done it? Is it done yet? Why isn't it done yet? IT orchestration by CDWG. People who get it. Find out more at cdwg.com slash EMC. So I put a bunch of poll questions up on my Twitter at Joe Goodberry and just trying to get uh, a taste of where the Bengals fans are at 0-8 midway through the year. First poll question is, who's the most valuable Bengals player this year halfway through? And valuable is a tough word because you're 0-8. How valuable can you be? But I think a lot of people also took this as who is the best player on an 0-8 team. And I I nominated Trey Hopkins, Tyler Boyd, Geno Atkins. And then the last one I, I thought, Carlos Dunlap, but he's missed a couple games. Uh, I thought Kevin Huber, but we're talking about a punter. Is he more valuable than some of these other guys? So I I landed on Sam Hubbard almost as a litmus test to see where Bengals fans would feel because I I think the average fan is a little bit higher on Sam Hubbard than maybe they should be. So I wanted to see how these results went. I'm just going to vote as we go through these questions. So you're going to hear some clicks on the podcast. So you hear those anyway probably pretty frequently. But I'm going to vote for Geno Atkins here because I think he's really the only one of these guys that's making any sort of difference in any games this year. I see the results now, but before I get to the results, Joe, who's your pick? I would say for most valuable, as the question is is posed, because if it was the best player, I'd say for sure Geno Atkins. He's still the best player, the most, the biggest difference maker in terms of other teams and who they're game planning for. Uh, but I would say Trey Hopkins in terms of value, because without him on this bottom five or three O-line, I'm bottom one worst line in the league without Trey Hopkins this would be a complete disaster he's had a lot of good days and good blocks that have helped spring some plays and even he unfortunately you've seen his play start to slip as the season goes on just because when you're surrounded by disaster as he has been on both sides of the guard position the center can only do so much I mean he's protected in some ways but in other ways he gets exposed and I, I still think Trey Hopkins has a bright future I hope they extend him He's got all the tools you need, can be a very functional unit of a good offensive line once those other pieces are in place. But a center is just not that valuable to me, talking about positional value. So for me, it's it's looking at these choices. It's not Tyler Boyd for me, and he's the one that's leading the poll, 33% to Trey Hopkins, 27%. But it's not Boyd for me only because he's a slot receiver, and the Bengals have gotten elite production out of every receiver they've put out there. That's fair. Yep, that's very fair. I would say, if I don't know if we mentioned this, but I've heard that Trey Hopkins and the Bengals, in terms of an extension, uh, both sides are interested in working on that. So, um, yeah, let's move on then, right? Wait, wait, wait. Before we move on, just one more word on Trey Hopkins. I hope they make that extension just because he was an absolute pleasure to talk to on this podcast. Go back and listen to that one again if you missed it. He's just a good dude, really engaging, friendly guy, really like Trey Hopkins. And I just want to also point out that my vote, Geno Atkins, is currently in last place in this poll. And if you're valuing Sam Hubbard ahead of Geno Atkins right now, you're doing it wrong. You're just wrong. You're out of your mind. You're just wrong. 22% of you, so that's 600 of you. I don't know if you're all listening to the podcast, but you voted for the wrong person. So is that for, yeah, because Hubbard's at 22%, Atkins is at 18 at the time of recording this with 3,200 votes. 
uh, even. And yeah, Hubbard should have zero uh, votes. I only put him on the seat where people were, and I, I, I knew he'd get that. the votes. Yeah, yeah, I knew he'd get, so I put him up there. It's okay, just, next, it's just they're wrong. I just want to yes. make sure that's clear. <laughs> he's not the most valuable player, uh, and I like Hubbard. I just, you know, he's still developing, and he, he's fine to have as as a defensive lineman. Anyways, next question: Who is the best? Oh, I'm sorry. Who has been the Bengals' most disappointing player so far this year? And I nominated Andy Dalton because he's quarterback and he's having his worst year. Billy Price for um, all the reasons because he, he lost the center position and then he is quickly losing the left guard spot. Also, uh, Jesse Bates because of where he was last year coming in this year. We thought he could be their all pro on defense. And then Carl Lawson because... There was a lot of hype on him returning and being that guy. He's missed a lot of time. And when he's been out there largely, I haven't noticed him. Yeah, I'm going to go with Billy Price for this one just because he was a first-round pick. And now he's posted a 1.2 out of 100 pass-blocking grade last week against the Rams. And it's not like Aaron Donald even had his best day. He's good. He's always going to be good. But he didn't have his best game. I just wanted to double-check your claim that Andy Dalton's having his worst season ever, by the way. And considering no A.J. Green, I would actually argue against that because his first two seasons with A.J. Green on some teams that were better put together with better offensive lines, he was actually worse than he's graded so far this year for PFF. And I would say that given the team around him, he's playing better than those first two years, which you would certainly expect given his tenure. I think that's a fair argument. I wasn't going off great i was going just off completion percentage yards per attempt overall quarterback rating you know this traditional numbers here for dalton uh you know because we're it's hard to always look back and say and put the context on some of these years sometimes and you say oh yeah i forgot he threw 18 interceptions and you kind of you know lose the context of it four or five years later and i think we'll look back at this and say yeah not a great year for andy dalton it could spell um his final year for the bengals or at least starting anyways i would also vote billy price just because they're getting extremely poor production out of him right now from a first-round pick that could help solidify this interior offensive line, and he is definitely not doing that. Yeah, he just hasn't taken any step forward in year two, and you really need to see that from a first-round pick. Talking about the other guys here, Billy Price, by the way, leading this poll in a landslide. I think you're all with us. I think that's a pretty easy choice. How depressing is it that these are the guys we have to list, though? I, I mean, know. Billy Price, Jesse Bates, Carl Lawson. Carl Lawson, the most exciting player from two years ago's draft. Jesse Bates, the best rookie they had last year. And Billy yeah. Price, our first-round pick from last year. I mean, that's tough. It signifies where they're at right now. It, it is a very good microcosm of what's going wrong with this team yeah. this year. I would say that the voters that picked Jesse Bates here are probably the most misguided out of out of the list. I think that he should be trailing Carl Lawson because Lawson is largely doing the same thing. He just isn't winning as much. And I think the injury stuff is pretty disappointing for him, whereas Jesse Bates, I feel, is being deployed very poorly by this coaching staff. And so for and Bates... he's dependable. Kind of, what's that? You know, he's, not, he's dependable. Yeah. He's, not, he's not out, which should yeah. factor, I think, some of these. And, okay. And for, and for me, I just put him more on the coaching staff. That, that's all with that one. So let's get to the next one. I hear that. Okay, so removing the MVP candidates, because a few of those guys could be considered breakout players, too. Uh, the Bengals' breakout player so far this year, I've listed three wide receivers, because, of course, Auden Tate, John Ross, Alex Erickson, and then I put Brandon Wilson there, because of where he was. Remember, Paul Denner Jr., we uh, disagreed on a, on the initial 53-man roster in the middle of the summer. We, You and I both said Brandon Wilson's on that team. Not, I can't even remember who he had. Uh, and Henderson. It was, yeah, and because we said Wilson's an athlete, he can play multiple positions, he can help in the special teams game, uh, and he's been very fun for them so far in in a role on defense, but also mainly, obviously, as a return man. Yeah, I don't think he has much of a future on defense. I think he's fine in spot use. I don't think he's going to be a starter, but he, you know, I could be very wrong about that. I'm just judging what I've seen so far. Out of these guys, I would say John Ross, if he was healthy. And the correct answer might be Alex Erickson, but I can't select anyone except for Auden Tate. The, the catches he's had, the highlight reel that he is, and just judging from the targets he's getting, now many of those have not been catchable. His catch percentage on targets is low. 
but he's not dropping balls either. So, right. I mean, maybe some of these balls aren't catchable because of his foot speed, but I think it's on tape for me going away. I would too. Seventh round pick. Uh, I think the comparison would be Erickson here because Erickson, undrafted guy now in what year four or so. I, I don't, I've lost count, but I think we've seen Erickson enough to know that he can help in a limited capacity. Sure. He's had a couple big games back to back that, um, or maybe more than we even expected. But Tate has had a few now. And Tate has made a bunch of plays that have said, wow, okay, not only is he a seventh-round guy that is a big-body red zone, which I think everyone labeled him probably as maybe his potential, he looks like I can use him in my offense. Sure, he's got some limitations. Who doesn't, right? So, But at least I know I can throw him the ball, and he's going to be a big-body contested guy in a lot of situations. He's getting a lot of deep targets, too, right now. Out of the three receivers that are out there, he's actually the deep threat, and it's because of the ball skills and the size. You can box guys out downfield. That is a valuable asset. If we would have asked me this after four games, it would have been John Ross in the Easy. first quarter. Right. So I understand why Ross is getting his second-most votes here. If he was healthy, he may be the winner because – Maybe Tate doesn't even get that chance. But Tate has recently been a lot of fun. Maybe the only fun guy on the offense for the past three weeks. Certainly the most fun. He's just, every week, he's producing crazy-ass catches. That go-go gadget arms kind of stuff. And he jumped poorly at the combine, but that hasn't shown up for me on the football field. It looks like he can jump to me. He's picking balls out of the air pretty high. Maybe that's because he's 6'5". So it looks like he's really getting up there, but... Yeah, I mean, this is what I was talking about in the preseason when we were talking about, well, is on Tate going to make the roster? And I kept saying, there's stuff he can do that not many guys in the NFL can do. He brings That's a true. unique skill set to this team that the only other guy that does it is, is A.J. Green. Here's the – we've talked about how the receivers are all playing well, and, and if anything, if any position group, it's the receivers. There's a lot of unique talents on this roster, and the Bengals can't figure out how to use them. Yep. Receiver is not – that's it. it's yep. like the complete opposite. It's a yep. great example to say, look, they know how each one of these guys can help this team, and they're using them to that capacity. I don't want to you know, speak too highly of an 0-8 team right now, but that is the comparison when you look at receiver versus linebacker or D-line or corner or even on the offensive line. They know how to get these guys the ball in the right way. Who's the wide receivers coach right now? Big Nell. Yeah, that's right, Bob yeah. Bicknell. And he's been there. Doing a good job. So let's get to the next question. Okay, so I wanted to put a special teams up there. I didn't do offensive defense player of the year because I, I think it's pretty obvious by the MVP votes so which way people would go. It would probably be redundant at that point. People would pick Tyler Boyd and then, obviously, Sam Hubbard right now. So uh, special teams player at this point. I listed Kevin Huber because some people wanted to vote for Kevin Huber as the MVP, which, great, here's your chance. I put Darius Phillips because – Beginning of the year, uh, that the return against Buffalo, special teams, he even had one, even though he had those fumbles originally. But Brandon Wilson, because of the recent special teams, I should have put Stanley Morgan just off the last couple weeks, but I put Clark Harris in there because I started looking at PFF grades, and I believe he's their highest-graded special teamer that plays often. So uh, I put Clark Harris in because he was also a pro bowler last year. Almost their highest-graded player that plays often. In fact, Stanley Morgan – and it's just four active games now, has 63 snaps on special teams. He's playing wow. on all the units except for the field goal units. Clark Harris only plays, of course, on the punt and field goal units. 67 snaps for him, 63 for Morgan. Tony McRae, 126, has actually graded pretty well on special teams as well. Yeah, I would certainly have included Stanley Morgan here from what he's shown in the last couple of weeks. I think he's been absolutely outstanding. But given this list, for me, it's between Huber, who's having a very good season. Not his best season, but a very good season. He's been asked to punt a lot. And Brandon Wilson, who's been absolutely fantastic as a return man. So it just yeah. comes down to, do you value the returns higher than punting? And and I don't really know what's right there from a true value perspective. There aren't very many kick returns, but when Brandon Wilson's had his chances... He's put the Bengals several times in very good positions. So I guess I'm going to go Brandon Wilson here by not very much over Kevin Huber. And it's funny because the Bengals found two kick returners this year and in Phillips and Wilson. And these both of these guys are really good at it in college. That, actually, that draft class, because these guys were or, or from the same, I believe, uh, they drafted a lot of return men. And it was like, man, eventually they're going to hit these guys at some point. And here's... Here's two guys that can help return you for at least kick returners for a while. And, yeah, Phillips got hurt, so it gave Wilson the chance. Great. I would vote Kevin Huber because one of the reasons why I would vote for Stanley Morgan is because Huber's dropping him at the two-yard line, and guess who's catching him? 
Oregon is. It's kind of a you got to have both parts there in, in order to to do it. And Huber's dropped a lot of punts inside the the twenty yard line. He's dropped a lot inside the ten. He's almost getting no returns against him right now. His average per punt versus his net net per punt is about two yards difference, which means these guys aren't getting returns on him at all. I'm going to vote for Kevin Huber because. Well, the offense has sucked a lot, and he's had to go out there and flip field positions a bunch this year. Yeah, like I said, I think it's really close. And if you want to vote for Kevin Huber, I cannot fault you for that at all. You mentioned that he's had very few of his punts returned this year. PFF actually tracks that. Fun fact. He has 39 punts this year. 28% of them have been returned, and that is fourth best for players with at least a substantial amount of punts. Jamie Gillen for Cleveland, 18.8% which is remarkable. And then Logan Cook for Jacksonville and some other guy for Buffalo who I I don't know either. So whatever. I don't know who any of those guys are. Let's just move on. That's how it goes. Okay, next question. We start to get a little fun now. and I think we can speed it up a little because these start to get silly and more definitive at the same time. So the best free agent signing this year was, number one, John Miller. Number two, Bobby Hart. Number three, Preston Brown. And number four, B.W. Webb. Jesus. Your silence is deafening. <laughs> right. There was a lot of a lot of similar responses. So, okay. God. Walmart doesn't have much on the shelves, eh? I guess. Oh. I mean, it's obviously neither of the guys in the middle. So it's John Miller, B.W. Webb. B.W. You haven't seen the results, right? No. Okay. No, I haven't. So it, for me, it's easily John Miller, B.W. Webb. And Miller's missed some games. He's been really up and down. B.W. Webb has been solid, especially That's for what they're paying game, him. Right, with a broken forearm yeah, and then but played then he, through it the last month. Yeah, he's come back and played through it. And if he hadn't broken right. his arm, I think he has a couple of picks last week. So I'm picking B.W. Webb here. He's exactly what we thought he'd be. Good fourth corner being asked to do a little bit more than that. Yeah, I'm also going with B.W. Webb, and he's uh, winning this. It's really out of Webb and Miller, like you said. 47% for Webb, 32% for John Miller. Uh, the people agree. Whoever voted for Bobby Hart, you're, you're playing games with <laughs> well, us. There's 60 people that voted for Bobby Hart, and there's 160 people that voted for Preston Brown. The people that voted for Preston Brown are actually more wrong than the people that voted for they Bobby are. Hart. Well, yeah, no, they are. I was going to say, maybe I just looked at the answers to your next question. Yeah, right. <laughs> let's go to that. Huh? Oh, man. Yeah, okay. Let's go. Bengals Rookie of the Year, Midway Point. Rookie of the Year, Drew Sample, Jermaine Pratt, Michael Jordan. And he <laughs> gave you the option number four because there was really no one else. It's fuck There you. is. It's Stanley That's- Morgan. Oh, you're right. That's, it was almost Damian Willis. Oh my god. The only the only Bengals rookie that's been good at anything this year is Stanley Morgan. How about that? We had like mid round grades on Stanley Morgan too. So go Stanley Morgan. He hasn't Junior. been good at offense. Eh, he got a pass. <laughs> he got a pass on Jalen Ramsey. He just got tackled he got immediately. <laughs> I'm voting for go? option. We're talking over each other there a lot. I'm voting for option D. Fuck you. Yeah. Yeah, everyone did. 82% of the people feel the same way. And I, I don't know if that's directed at me or the Bengals or the, the general situation, but I agree. That's where I would vote. I mean, if it if it wasn't that, I guess you default to Jermaine Pratt. Yeah. All right, so next question is, who takes the biggest blame for the 0-8 record? Only gave you three options. Mike Brown, Duke Tobin, or Zach Taylor? Jake, who are you taking? It's easy. It's Mike Brown, and it's always Mike Brown. Right. And surprisingly, he only has 75% of the votes. I, I think that those that are voting for Duke Tobin more than Zach Taylor, I, I'm more inclined to blame Zach Taylor for the second worst. But mm-hmm. again, all of some of those reasons go back to Mike Brown, right? Like the sure. fact that they couldn't hire a defensive coordinator because guys didn't want to come here. Right. That's only partially on Zach Taylor. I think that's largely on Mike Brown for a lot of reasons. And then Jim Turner is squarely on Zach Taylor's shoulders. He continues to stand up for the guy. He has the choice of firing him. That is a choice. Ben Martin, the the offensive line assistant, got high praise from the other guys in the offensive line room that I've talked to. I'm sure he could do a fine job for eight games. Yeah, and remember, uh, uh, Paul Alexander got fired after halfway through the year for the Cowboys last year. So it can happen. Anyways, let's move on. Huh? Biggest yeah. issue on the field for the Bengals is, number one, average quarterback, horrific offensive line, 
the injuries that seem to keep piling up, or linebackers from the 1990s? I think the way my brain is processing this question, the answer is in terms... So I'm thinking about this question and the biggest issue that makes them 0-8 this year, not looking into the future at all. Agreed. I, I think it's injuries, and here's why. Because I think if A.J. Green is healthy, that single player makes the biggest impact on this team. If Jonah Williams is healthy, there's your second biggest impact on the team. Maybe yep. if, if Jonah's healthy, maybe Cordy Glenn never, I don't know what's going on with Cordy Glenn, but he, he's been for, as far as we know, he's been hurt. They've yep. missed games from Carlos Dunlap. They've missed games from Dark West and They've missed games from William Jackson. They're missing games from Drake Kirkpatrick. There's just a ton of starters hurt. And if they, and nobody is 100% healthy, but say they're not missing half of their starters, I think they've probably won some games by now, especially if A.J. Green is out there. I would also vote for injuries. And I don't know if you've seen the result yet, but I would do that because we said how bad left guard is. They're, they're playing the worst left guard situation in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, that would be Cordy Glenn maybe and Jonah Williams at left tackle. That would make a huge difference with Trey Hopkins having uh, the year he is. And I would also say coaching staff overcoming injuries because everybody is injured at this point. Yeah. Every team. And the Bengals, again, are unable to overcome. At most spots, they're getting good production at receiver. Uh, They've gotten actually decent production at corner, despite Tony McRae getting picked on uh, consistently. So I would say injuries. But I could also lean towards average quarterback play. Because I think if they had a good quarterback, and I'm talking about a really good one, not just a guy that's slightly better than Dalton. Don't don't say Cam Newton or, or Nick Foles or, you know, average guys that were originally ranked in his in his area. If they had a top 10 guy, they'd probably have two to three to four wins potentially. Yeah. I mean, you could pick any of these, though, except for linebackers. I think you could pick any of these, and I wouldn't argue with you. I did just pick injuries, and I voted, and only 4% say injuries. 65% of you say it's on the offensive line. But how bad would this offensive line be if John Miller was playing every snap, Jonah Williams was playing every snap, and Cordy Glum was playing every snap? Right. It wouldn't be so bad. It wouldn't be so bad. Right. I agree. Okay, next question, though. Let's keep it moving. Do you want the Bengals to trade players for picks before tomorrow's deadline? Yes. Easy. I agree, too. Yes, I would like them to move somebody. It doesn't mean everybody. It doesn't mean selling everyone for nothing. But I would like them to move some players before tomorrow's deadline. 90% agree. So this is when it gets to the point of uh, just gauging Bengals fans where they're at right now. Uh, Final two questions. First. Are you hoping the Bengals end up with a top two pick? They're not going to the playoffs at this point. And so this is kind of one of those things where it's, why would we be doing anything else? Uh, I come at this from a very analytical perspective. So I totally understand the emotional, the fan perspective of, I just want to win some games. I want a reason to have some hope. But I want to feel like there's a direction. I want to feel like they have the best chance of being good in the future. So, yes, they're not going to the playoffs. They're not doing anything this year. There's no reason not to hope for a top two pick, even if I can't really bring myself to root against them in games. When they when they do beat the Dolphins, if that happens, I'm going to be a little bit bummed. Right. And that's the thing, too. I want to be excited about something for the rest of this poor year. And part of that is riding out the end of this year to the point of, okay, where are they going to pick? How high can they possibly pick in that Dolphins game week 16? Can they do what's necessary or will the outcome be what is necessary to benefit them in the long run, which would be to pick over Miami because those two teams need a lot of similar positions. Uh, So, and a lot of people agree, actually. Uh, 95% of Bengals fans that voted on this, which is nearly 2,400, 95% say they would like them. Quickly going to update you, speaking of the Dolphins on the Steelers-Dolphins game. The Steelers have scored. They kicked a field goal. They drove from the six-yard line all the way down to the 25 before having to settle for a 42-yard field goal. 14-3 to with two minutes and 45 seconds left in the second quarter. ESPN's win probability has Miami at 59.5%. I don't know if that accounts for how terrible Miami is this year. That's right. They may not score any other points. They're over their average at this point. Things are trending <laughs> so, in a scary direction. Mason Rudolph, who started the game like one for six with a pick, is now six for 14 for 73 yards. So it looks like Steelers are starting to figure some things out, as you would expect. Yep. Final question then, with that, with the last couple in mind of trading players and losing, 
Um, as of today, do you want the top quarterback prospect or do you want Ohio State edge defender, best college f- football player in, in the country, and probably the first Heisman defensive candidate or legit shot since Ndamukong Sue and Charles Woodson? I'm, I'm, I'm selling them high here for you, Jake. Who do you want? You want the quarterback or you want Chase Young? Well, I don't think Chase Young is even on the Heisman list right now. He will be. Is that something that can still change? Because people were freaking out that there were, he wasn't even on the list, and I thought that meant he he couldn't get on it. But I guess it could it can change whenever, right? Yeah, I think I think so. Plus, you can write in. There's no there's no finalist for the anyway. Uh, best quarterback versus Chase Young, best quarterback. Quarterback I, is the most important position in sports. Period. I mean, yeah, I'd love Chase Young, but not at the cost of the top quarterback prospect in a draft. Especially because they look like they're good this year. Whoever that guy is, they look like they're going to be good. Right. And and that's the, the first premise. And the first thing we're working off of is that the top quarterback. So it's somebody that they love or feel is a franchise uh, leading quarterback. And with that in mind, then that's the pick. The, it, the, the, the debate goes no further than that. If they believe he's the guy, that's it. End of discussion. If they end up number two and the next guy they don't believe is that, then go chase young. And I've got no problem with that. Cause I would do the same thing. And you have a stud edge defender and use line up to get yourself with a top 10 pick next year and hopefully get a quarterback then. So that's understandable. And two thirds of Bengals fans agree. Give me the top quarterback. There are obviously times this doesn't work out. For example, Derek Carr went first overall, David Carr, sorry, went first overall back <laughs> in 2002, one pick before Julius Peppers. Not great when you look at it that way. But then the next year, in 2003, Carson Palmer is seen as a generational QB prospect. The Bengals signed him before the draft. There was no suspense whatsoever. The top defensive linemen that year, Dwayne Robertson and Jonathan Sullivan. You remember any of those guys anymore? The Bengals did bring in for a visit. The final five visits that year uh, were the two wide receivers, Andre Johnson and, was it Charles Rogers? That was a different year. Okay, Charles Rogers. And then the other two were Terrence Newman. And Terrell Suggs. Yep. So Suggs was actually the best in terms of positional uh, edge rusher. So th- there was at least some smidge of consideration there. I don't know who's had a better career. Suggs playing on the Ravens may make the Hall of Fame. Yeah, but I think you look at the prospects and what Carson Palmer could have been, it's easily Palmer over Suggs if you're picking first overall. I mean, Suggs went after nine other guys. Right. So maybe that's not a fair comparison. Maybe you compare Palmer to Peppers. Who would sure. you rather have as prospects? I think it's still Carson Palmer to me because he was a perfect quarterback prospect. Sure, especially for that time frame, that era, that generation. And it also happened twice to the Browns, twice to the Texans, that they decided to go defensive end over quarterback. Uh, the Browns taking Courtney Brown one year and then Miles Garrett over quarterbacks that ended up having Mahomes and Watson in that draft and Trubisky. But obviously they didn't have to take Trubisky. And the other one was the Texans taking Mario Williams over. Who was the best quarterback that year? Vince Young, who ended up going crazy for the Titans after, well, that was some of Jeff Fisher, but he did win rookie of the year. He did, and he started out promising. Vince Young, again, a really good-looking quarterback prospect at the time, willed his team to a national championship, looked unstoppable in that game. The next quarterback that year, Matt Leinart from USC, then Jay Cutler, from Vanderbilt, neither of those guys had great careers, although Jay Cutler was serviceable for a very long yeah. time. But I remember being surprised that it was Mario Williams over Reggie Bush that year because I thought Reggie Bush was, you know, Barry Sanders 2.0. Now, we don't know what these quarterbacks are going to look like when everything's said and done. We've got Joe Burrow to play Alabama and his bowl game yet, but he has passed every test with flying colors so far. Tua, there's no reason to doubt his abilities at this point. You can be concerned about his ankle sprains all you want, but now he's got surgically repaired ankles that should be stronger from my understanding of what the tightrope surgery does. So I think Tua, Burrow, Chase Young, those are the guys you're considering. And if the guy you want is gone, sure, take Chase Young, just try again next year or pick Jordan Love in the second round or, or whoever's there in the second round if he's there. But, you know, don't do what Denver did, right? And pick Drew Locke exactly. in the second round. Yeah. So, so Unless Locke ends up panning out. We don't know yet. Well, I'm just saying don't pick a guy because you feel like you need to take a quarterback in the second round if you don't think the guy can do the thing. Because I just don't want to go through another decade with the second round quarterback scraping by. Right. I, I'm with you. That Like Jake Fromm. If it was Jake Fromm, I'd yeah. be like, okay, is he Andy Dalton? Because I kind of think that's who he'd be. 
But is there a chance he's Drew Brees? And, you know, because he's 21 years old. Fromm's actually one of the younger guys in this draft. There's some development in those guys that are younger. So um, that would be scary, but I guess the hope. If it's Fromm in the second round, I think I'm actually pretty comfortable with it because he's 21 and he has a lot of tools. And there's reason to think that given time he could develop. He's another one of these guys. I think a lot of the guys this year could use a year to develop and get the mental side of the game of the NFL because of how far the college game is from the NFL right now. But hey, I, I think if you're picking in the top two, you're going to get a quarterback that you like a yeah. lot, especially this year with Burrow and Tua, the highlights. And yes, Chase Young looks like a fantastic player. Reminds me a lot of Jadavion Clowney that year in terms of prospect level. But I'm still quarterback's most important position in sports, and the Bengals haven't had a good one in a long time. That's the one we didn't mention. I mentioned Mario Williams with the Texans. I just omitted the other one. Was Clowney that year, and that ended up being a really, really good draft class. And guys like Aaron Donald and Khalil Mack. So mm-hmm. now we don't know if there's those guys to match, except for Derek Brown. If you watch the LSU versus uh, what was the Ole Miss game the other night, it was really fun. And Derek Brown is unstoppable. Chris Long was the defensive end drafted ahead of Matt Ryan. Fun fact: Who would you rather have, Chris Long or Matt Ryan? Matt Ryan. And Jake Long was the top pick that year. Yeah, it, Matt Ryan should have been the guy that went number one. Miami Dolphins, folks. That's going to do it for this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Tomorrow we'll be back with a trade deadline update. We'll see if the Bengals make any moves, see if they can find a taker for Cordy Glenn. And Joe, I think you're going to talk to the guys that were in the UK yesterday. That's right. See how that experience went because it looked like a blast on social media. I care more about the partying and the drinking more than the game. And I'll talk to Mo Egger the next day on Wednesday, and we'll figure out what we're going to do on Thursday. I might take a solo mailbag while Joe celebrates Halloween. Until then, Bengals fans, have a good one. Did you watch the 2020 Reds with higher expectations than a first-round wildcard exit of epic proportions? Did you think that the Reds hitting would come around with the signings that they made last offseason? Are you wondering who is asking you all of these questions? Hi, my name is Jeff Carr, and I host the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Throughout the offseason, I'm going to take a look at these Reds, how they fix what didn't work in 2020, and how they continue their success in 2021. But wait, there's more. I'll also have interesting interviews with players, writers, and everyone in between talking about the Cincinnati Reds. Come join me on the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day.